You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Everyone is facing these huge life-changing moments. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. I think it really is important for folks to reach out to people so they can know that they're not alone. We don't know how long all this is going to go on for. And from an emotional standpoint, psychologically, that's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. This is KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Menconi, and today on KCBS In-Depth, one of the key officials helping to shape San Francisco's response to the pandemic just got bumped up to statewide office. That's San Francisco Health Officer Tomas Aragon, who will soon be moving on to lead California's Department of Public Health as both its director and its health officer. The changeover, of course, comes at a critical moment in the fight to slow this pandemic as record numbers of new infections roll in each day and hospitals are stretched to their limits. Dr. Aragon joins us now to discuss his work leading San Francisco's pandemic response and the very important job he has waiting for him just ahead. Dr. Tomas Aragon, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Glad to have you. Thank you very much for having me. So I want to start by discussing the role of leadership in the fight against COVID-19. The Bay Area was, of course, the first region in the country to enact stay-at-home orders. Uh, It was all the way back in March. Looking back, you know, after seeing what happened in places that waited longer, uh, even a few weeks longer in the case of uh, New York, uh, it seems likely that that decision really did uh, save quite a few lives. Uh, And obviously there were other health officers involved in that decision. But I I imagine for you, uh, there have been many such moments uh, throughout this pandemic that you have had to uh, wrestle your way through, and uh, getting them right really has been a matter of uh, life and death, uh, really difficult trade-offs the whole way through. Wondering if you could reflect for a moment on some of those difficult decisions and what has been your guiding light in trying to find your way through all this. Yeah, so what you just mentioned is actually a really good a really good point is trade-offs. Um, I, I tell my staff that there are no right answers, there are only trade-offs. And I think that's one of the challenges when we're facing a novel agent with uncertainty and limited information. And that's what happened back in March. Uh, In in March, when I woke up on March 15th, um, Dr. Grant Colfax sent me a text and he wanted to get the health officers together just to talk about how we can coordinate our restricting of gatherings at that time. So we got together that morning, we talked about it, and there was two, two things that we had, we had not done yet. One was a stay at home or shelter in place. And the other, other one was universal masking. And we were talking about maybe we would do that as a recommendation. A few hours later, Dr. Sarah Cody, who's the health officer of Santa Clara, called, called us back and said, we need to do a shelter in place not by recommendation, we need to do it as an order and we need to do it within 24 hours. We need to do it right away. Santa Clara at that time was having increase of cases, hospitalizations, ICU admissions and deaths. So um, she was very convincing in help and in, in walking us through that decision of recognizing that if we wait a few days, we would still cause the social harm, but lose the, lose the public health benefit. And by doing it right away, we get all the, we get all the, the public health benefit without really additional social harm. And so we were able to mobilize um, the, the lawyers from all the different counties uh, to do it within 24 hours. Back then, you know, we knew very little about the virus. We, were, we knew what we saw, what was happening in Italy. We knew what happened in China. 
We did not know um, a lot about air, um, airborne transmission, asymptomatic uh, transmission. And so we were really, it, we were uh, flying by the seat of a pan, our pants in one, in one sense. Um, and so as we move forward, we know a lot more about the virus. <laughs> However, there's still a tremendous amount of uncertainty and there still is limited information because our environment is constantly changing. We're, we're, at, a, we're at a time um, where, you know, the weather's changing, people are spending more time indoors. It's that time of year where people want to spend time together, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas coming, New Year's. And so it's sort of coming together of all these different factors, sort of a, per, a perfect storm where we're realizing that this virus, I, I describe this virus as relentless and unforgiving. Um, and it, it has taught us, it, it, it has taught us many lessons and it continues to teach us many lessons. If you had asked me a, just even a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago, whether I thought we can manage this virus by dialing, dialing up and dialing down different interventions, I would have said, absolutely, we can, we can do this. And as I watch what's happening in other parts of the world, um, watching what's happening around the United States, there's a tipping point where there is just so much widespread transmission that you cannot take, you can't be dialing up and dialing down targeted interventions. You have to move towards a stay at home order to really decrease mobility, people getting together uh, transmission. And I think that's what we're seeing now happening in uh, in California. I think Southern California has hit their tipping point. So you see their rates now, are their 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 rates daily case rates are now above 100 per 100,000, which is very high. And you know we were seeing that in the in the Dakotas, in the Midwest, and other other areas of the of the country. So we're California is 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 in a real um, difficult time right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, and let's uh, let's talk about a couple of the points uh, that you made a second ago, uh, focusing in on exactly where we are right now. Uh, uh, first of all, reminding listeners that we are speaking to Dr. Tomas Aragon, who is the uh, outgoing health officer for San Francisco. You know, talking about where we are right now, you know, this is the week where the Bay Area passed that uh, 15% threshold set by the state. Uh, going below the 15% threshold for ICU capacity now means that the entire Bay Area is under stay-at-home orders as uh, set by the governor's office. Um, and, and you mentioned a second ago, you know, a few weeks ago, perhaps we had a different perspective on where this was all headed. Uh, I, I've got to imagine that this, uh, for the health officers who have been leading this response, this is uh, a very difficult week to be witnessing. I'm, I'm not sure if you heard the news about this, but uh, Dr. Cody herself uh, uh, broke down in tears in a Santa Clara County meeting uh, just a couple of days ago. So uh, curious, you know, given the expectations and where we are right now, uh, how, how are you feeling at this moment? Yeah, I think, oh boy, yeah, it, it, it is, it's a very, uh, we feel um, as, as if, as if it's um, beyond our control, so, so to speak, uh, because we just see the rates continuing to go up. One of the challenges with uh, hospitalizations and ICU admissions, so the hospitalizations that you see are really infections that happened more than two weeks ago. So in a sense, that, that cat is out of the bag, right? And so you're, you're, so that's one issue. The other issue is that you're looking at your daily case rates, which give you an idea of what happened a week ago. <laughs> and, so, um, and so the daily case rates continue to go up. The hospitalization rates continue to go up. Uh, because of pandemic fatigue, we, we, even though we, we, we 
we think we know how to control this virus. It's really hard to get everybody to get everybody on board all at the same time. It's a real challenge. If any, if any area can do it, I feel the Bay Area is one of the areas that can do this. And the reason I say this is that we have been very fortunate, the health officials, to have the support of elective, elected officials. Uh, areas that don't have the support of elective officials automatically sets up um, a, a schism, a conflict between different, different ways of thinking about, about how to handle this. And then it causes a lot of confusion and people um, really dig in. And um, we see this happening all over the United States. And so we've been very fortunate because our elected officials have been very supportive of public health, have been very supportive of science, and then have been very supportive of the fact that we don't always know what the right answer is gonna be. We don't know with, with certainty whether something's gonna work, we're, we're taking our best shot. And so, so it is, and, 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 and so it, it is a difficult it is a difficult time for the health officials because we do feel certain things are out of our control. We we want the public to really cooperate to understand what we're trying to accomplish, and it's um, it can be very it can be very heartbreaking when you see all the, the the deaths that are now beginning to happen across California. Yeah. So you you mentioned some of that disparity in terms of what we're seeing in the Bay Area versus the rest of California. Uh, comparing Los Angeles County to counties in the Bay Area, I mean, Los Angeles County at this point is off the charts in terms of the number of new cases and the number of deaths that they're facing at this moment. Uh, you are taking on this new role uh, leading up the pandemic response uh, across the states. And so uh, those challenges are now your challenges as well. And uh, some of the uh, less supportive officials are going to be people that you're going to be needing to work with. I know that a number of uh, Southern California sheriff's officials have been uh, a lot more resilient resistant to these health orders, not wanting to carry them out. Uh, what is your thinking going into this role, knowing the uh, new sorts of challenges that you're going to be taking on? Yeah, you're bringing up, you're bringing up a really, a really good question. And, and I think, and, and this is, this is a challenge that happens really all the time in, in public health. People have uh, different, different belief systems. One way of doing it is not necessarily uh, good or bad. Um, I think part of our challenge is to really understand how we can communicate more effectively with people who have different belief systems. So for example, um, some people feel that a requirement to put on a mask is taking away personal freedoms. And we have to sort of figure out how to reframe that, that putting on a mask gives us the freedom to open up the economy, gives us the freedom to support small businesses, um, gives us the freedom to keep the, the, our loved ones uh, healthy and alive. And so we sort of have to figure out how to, how to re reframe, reframe it in a way that different, different, different populations understand it. And I think that's one of the, I think that's one of the challenges that we're, we're, we're going we're to continue to fa uh, face. Yeah. All right. Well, real quick, I uh, want to reintroduce you and the program. Uh, for anybody just tuning in, you are listening to KCBS In-Depth, our weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Menconi. Today on the program, we are speaking with outgoing San Francisco health officer Tomas Aragon about his time helping to lead the city's pandemic response, as well as the challenges ahead as he takes on his new role directing California's public health department. I want to reflect a little bit on 
how you got to uh, your point that you are at right now. It's uh, been uh, kind of a long and winding road, although a lot of it has led through San Francisco. Uh, My understanding is that you grew up in the Mission District of San Francisco, uh, went to uh, studied at Harvard for your uh, medical education and uh, ended up uh, doing your residency at the height of the AIDS epidemic. So really starting uh, your career with another health crisis in a way. Uh, yeah, that that's correct. So I, I I started my residency in 1988, and at that time, people did not want to residents or medical students were not interested in coming to San Francisco because they were not interested in seeing just AIDS patients. Uh, and I, I I really had a different view that I, I felt it as an opportunity to really um, not just to contribute uh, but also to learn a tremendous amount. And it was it was it was. Uh, really the best, the best training, both from a clinical perspective, public health perspective, and having tremendous role models of um, uh, physicians, nurses, uh, every, everyone who really, who really rallied around and really took care of HIV patients. So, uh, and so, yeah, that was, that, that's sort of how I, um, I got broken in into the field of uh, infectious diseases. And I had an interest in epidemiology, so I just continued uh, down that road and just got a lot of extra training in that, in that area. And then another issue that you took on uh, in your early days working in city government in the mid-90s, uh, you were uh, looking into the racial disparities in uh, medical care and medical treatment. Obviously, that's been a big issue during the pandemic, as we've seen the uh, COVID-19 ravage certain communities and leave others relatively untouched in some ways, at least uh, not not harming them to the same degrees. Um, wondering how that experience uh, and that and that early time in government is informing uh, the response that you're taking right now. So one of the things I did in the 1990s was to do analyses across neighborhoods, but also taking into account a race and ethnicity. And you can really see the racial disparities um, in health across San Francisco. You know, at, at that time, uh, I, I was a little surprised because I thought, well, you know, San Francisco, we have, we have uh, access to medical care at San Francisco General Hospital. That's where I worked. Um, we, we took care of anybody that walked in the, in the door. And, and as you start going into the community, you realize is that health care is not sufficient. <laughs> Um, health, health is produced and protected in the community. Um, uh, people show up to hospitals when they're sick. And so if we really want to prevent illness, we have to really, we have to figure out how to protect health in the community and how to promote health in the community. And so I had the opportunity to do a lot of analyses to really highlight the racial disparities in health in San Francisco, especially on the Southeast side. And at that time we had two power plants in that part of the city. People may not realize that we had two power plants. A lot of particulate air pollution, a lot of freeways, a lot of asthma, and so the the data really uh, helped and empowered the community to to really change things and advocate for eventually those power plants um, being decommissioned and take, taken down. So there there was a lot of co- uh, community action that got a tremendous amount accomplished um, during during that period. And I, I I say that I really played a small part. <laughs> Um, because the community already knew this, yeah. uh, the data just reflected what their wisdom and experience uh, had already had already told them and had told us. And so um, I really owe a lot to the community for uh, teaching me about how to do that type of work. 
Well, I'm sure a lot of progress has been made, but of course, uh, many of those challenges uh, still remain in one way or another. I've done some reporting in uh, within communities in Bayview, Hunters Point, and uh, folks there still dealing with pollution issues, still dealing with uh, a disproportionate burden from this pandemic. But I also spoke with a number of community leaders that said that they, they were getting quite a, a bit of resources and quite a bit of attention from uh, City Hall over the course of the pandemic. Uh, obviously, you know, some, some people dissatisfied, but uh, a surprisingly large number of the folks that I talked to uh, were very happy with the uh, level of support that they'd uh, been given. Uh, so I, I wonder what that reflects in terms of uh, the priorities that you and others in the health department were setting. Yeah, so I would say uh, both the health department and especially this mayor has been very committed to racial equity from from day from day one um, when London Breed became mayor. So it, it really aligned nicely with the ethic, uh, uh, the social justice ethic of the, the health department. And so it's been, it's been easier on us for, to work on the racial equity issues, especially around environmental, environmental justice issues. With a pandemic, one of the things you'll notice is that we know that uh, African-Americans have uh, more chronic diseases. So they're at risk for complications should they become infected. Um, uh, the Latinx population actually, ex except for diabetes, has less chronic diseases. So you have a scenario where the Latinx have had tremendous infection rates. Um, and even though their death rates after they've been infected are a little bit lower, are lower than the African-Americans, overall their death rates have been very high because so many of them have, be have become infected um, because of a lot of the essential work, uh, overcrowded housing. Um, African-Americans in San Francisco have been, have, have been fortunate compared to African-Americans in other parts of the U.S. We're very fortunate that the African-American community early on mobilized to really tell people don't gather. And they were, they were very active in the community and, and educating the community about how to, how to how to protect themselves and not become infected. So when yeah, you the look- the community mobilization uh, was, was yes. remarkable. There was a lot of people yes. taking responsibility for that. Amazing. So when you look at, when you look at San Francisco compared to other areas, um, especially the African-American community, they really have done well because, of, because they mobilize. Doesn't mean it won't change because they are at higher risk. Yeah. Well, uh, let's bring things back to the uh, current pandemic response that we are currently mounting and uh, some of the more controversial aspects of it. Of course, in a high-profile role such as yours, uh, it's very difficult to escape criticism. Uh, and just uh, to clarify for our listeners, uh, your role as health officer meant that you were the one who had the, uh, the, the state-vested authority of calling these health orders, whether that meant closing down business sectors or uh, calling for a mask mandate in the city. You weren't actually leading San Francisco's uh, health department although, uh, confusingly enough, in your new role for California, you will have both of those roles, both as the head of California's uh, department and as health officer. So uh, just a little bit of a clarification for our, our listeners out there who might be wondering. Um, but in terms of uh, the criticism that you've received, I mean, there's always going to be questions about why is this open and not, and not that open? A question of, you know, golf courses in particular. I knew those were uh, controversial. Why were those left open? Uh, and then some further criticism of the practicality of some of these orders and also of uh, transparency and uh, the ability to to communicate why these orders were being made. Um, just broadly speaking, I'm, I'm wondering what you feel like you have learned over the course of this pandemic and uh, how you can use that experience as you move on to this next role. Yeah, that's a, that's a, really, that's a really good question. And I think what, one of the challenges in, in this role is that 
Um, I'll just tell you from the, from the local role, we always had to start with what was what was allowed from the state level. So the state the state is really the ultimate legal authority on what happens even locally. We're fortunate in California is that authority is delegated locally and we have flexibility. And the state has the wisdom to allow the locals to go ahead and, 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 adjust, and, and adjust things. So you take you take you take what the state uh, the state gives you some some boundaries on what you can do, and then locally we try to figure out what what can what's going to work here locally. And the truth is is that there's always going to be multiple objectives. At the end of the day, um, even though even though in theory I have the legal authority, it still has to be defensible. In, in court, because people can be cha can challenge it, but it also has to be accepted by it has to be accepted by people, people including including the um, important stakeholders like elected officials. So you're really balancing all these different trade offs, and there are economic trade offs, and then there are health trade offs. And I think that's the challenge when you have when you have two objectives, you will you will end up implementing interventions that actually will will seem contradictory. Because people will say, "Well, why are you allowing this, but not this?" And so it it ends it ends it ends up being difficult sometimes to defend some of some of them. The health folks, we we tend to be very very focused on what can we do to interrupt transmission, mm. and then you're sort of um, working with other folks uh, with other folks that that will remind us which well, you know, when people don't have jobs. Um, that has health impacts too, right? When the economy is disrupted, it has social and health impacts. And those are real as well. If people lose their health insurance and they become homeless because they cannot, they cannot pay rent, those are actual real health outcomes that we also care about. So that's the challenge. It's, it's trying to find that, that, that balance. Mm, all right. Uh, well, uh, real quick, one last time, want to uh, let anybody who's just tuning in know that this is KCBS In Depth. I am Keith Menconi speaking today to outgoing San Francisco Health Officer Tomas Aragon as he moves on to another extremely consequential role, that being uh, directing California's Department of Public Health, moving on to a statewide office. So you're talking about uh, some of those trade-offs there, especially the trade-off between uh, public health and uh, the economic vitality, although, you know, of course, some would argue that there is no real trade-off there because you can't have a good economy without uh, everybody being healthy. But uh, in, in, in hearing you say that, I, I wonder if you feel that at any point, uh, perhaps health officials did lean too far onto the side of closing stuff down, stopping transmission, and weren't thinking through the full economic consequences of that. I know that uh, folks like uh, Dr. Monica Gandhi with UCSF and uh, others uh, have been sort of leaning in that direction recently, saying that you know the, the, this balance is, has been at points a little bit out of whack. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, I think all these uh, criticisms are are fair criticisms, and I think the way that the way that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, if you had interviewed me just a few weeks ago, I would have been saying the exact same thing, thing that Dr. Monica Gandhi had said, um, mm. um, because we are, you know, we felt like okay, we did it in March, we did it in June, we were, you know, we were very nuanced. Um, and I and I think what happened was is that we sort of you know when you're following you know, when you're following everything daily, and you're and you're watching what's happening around the world. There's a lot of places that are trying to do this right. So we have a we have yeah. many experiments happening out there, and we see many experiments failing. Mm. And you keep you keep believing we will be different. San Francisco somehow is going to be different. The Bay Area somehow going to be different. And we keep thinking, okay, we're 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 gonna we're gonna push through this one. And those rates keep going up and up 
and up. And then, you know, we're trying to figure out, okay, what, what, what can, what's going on. And I could just tell you from um, some of the research, there's a research group out of, uh, from the UK that's studying interventions around the world. And what they're, what they're pointing out is that when your daily case rates get above 20 per 100,000, that it's almost impossible to control this virus when you have that much transmission happening. And there's a group out at Harvard at the Harvard Global Health Institute. They, their number is 25 per 100,000. And so we, you know, early on we started realizing, you know, even though our rates in San Francisco was down about maybe three or four, we, you know, we got down to the yellow tier, we were doing great. We never imagined that we would be approaching 20 or 25. We're now up to about 28. Mm. And so for a while there, we were, we were, you know, we were do, we were looking great. But when those numbers started going up and we're seeing what's happening in other parts of the world, and we're learning from researchers that once you once you once you get above 20, that it's really hard to control, short of short of moving to a shelter in place strategy. Um, again, we, we we keep holding out, hoping that we can we can we don't have to go in that direction. But I think eventually reality just hits us, and I think you you'll see that in Los Angeles. Los Angeles started their modified shelter in place uh, when it when they got to forty per one hundred thousand. Yeah, and you can see if you look at their curve, it's um, it, it was it's it's very likely that forty was too late. Yeah, um, and it may it may be may very well be that twenty is too late. It may be that this should happen at 15. This virus is just incredibly infectious, very hard to very hard to contain. So, you know, talking about where that line is of uh, when you should shut down, we actually have quite a few more topics that I want to get to. But just uh, very, very briefly, uh, you know, there have been countries that have managed to keep this to a very, very minimal level. I was looking at the numbers out of Taiwan uh, earlier today, and I think that they are uh, at maybe like seven in the entire country right now, seven deaths. Um, uh, other countries, uh, Vietnam, New Zealand, have fared uh, quite a bit better. What, what do you think has separated the pandemic response and our ability to get this under control in the Bay Area and California, you know, relatively successful places in America would have separated us from those countries that have seen really almost no spread. I think um, I have I haven't studied uh, Taiwan in detail, but it's going to be a combination of doing the right interventions and doing them early, um, having all the testing capacity that you re- you really need making sure that you have the social supports, because if you're going, there's two, there's sort of two scenarios. There's two, there's the scenario that you're able to keep the rates incredibly, incredibly low and your public health infrastructure is able to put out fires. Okay. So good yeah. case investigation, contact tracing system, um, if, you know, if, where people on their apps or you're able to identify who's been exposed and you really, the public health infrastructure works really well when the, when the rates are incredibly, incredibly low. When the rates start getting very high, like you're seeing happening um, in, in Europe and you're going to shut down, you really need government support. You need financial and social supports so that people will stay at home, so that people will cooperate. And I think that's what's that's what's lacking in the United States. We both we have lacked both the national leadership, the the type of um, support that that's re- that's required, and also the type of financial support that's required, so that people can sh- shelter in place if if we need when we need to do that. So uh, when you sort of look at all those components, unfortunately, the United States has has uh, not done well in all those different areas. 
Yeah, uh, a lot of continuing challenges there. All right, well, I know that you are running out of time here, and I don't want to keep you too long, but uh, in the last couple of minutes that we have left, I do want to hear about uh, your priorities going into office leading up the California Department of Public Health. What are going to be the top priorities? Obviously, uh, vaccine distribution, high in the list, I imagine. Anything you would add to that? Well, I think right now we really, we really, right now everyone is really focused on COVID. As you, as you mentioned, it's it's almost impossible to do anything else when you have this much economic disruption for, from COVID. So, absolutely, right now the critical issues is going to be making sure that the vaccine program works, that we get mm-hmm. we get as many people vaccinated as, as as quickly as possible, that we deal with this hospital surge. Um, uh, it, there's a big issue with staffing. So we have to figure out how we can get all the all the beds staffed across the city. And then the third major area is going to be really how can we get the, the rates, how can we get the rates down and deal with the racial inequities in, in, in infection. So those are three areas that really are incredibly, incredibly important. I'm hoping that, um, you know, the, with the vaccine uh, that that ends up doing the trick. We're going to sort of keep 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 our fingers crossed that that will that will really um, it's hard to tell when that will when we'll see the the really the population health benefits of that, but I think it's very exciting, and we're we're very fortunate. If this, if this had been another era, we would be doing this year after year. Yeah. So we're very fortunate to have a vaccine th- this soon. Yeah, it's incredible to think that this is technology that was really worked out, just conceived of within, you know, just a little bit more than a decade ago, um, is my understanding. So uh, really an incredible moment to be in. Um, I I suppose in closing, uh, just to expand on the points that you were just making a second ago, you were talking earlier about how this really is a moment that we are seeing confronting the limits of what public health uh, can do, uh, just given how many people are moving about in California, how complicated this problem is. From your perspective, what is going to be the most important role of uh, uh, of your office going forward? Where are the issues where you really can make a difference? I think, as you know, you, you we already you can see that the lack of national leadership has an impact across the country, and so I think it's going to be really important to continue strong leadership at the state at the state level to really set to set standards and guidance that it, everybody can can um, align to. I know there's going to be variability in some of the counties because some of the counties uh, may may feel that it's, it's not their right fit. But I think we have to just continue to to really push for what we think the science is is telling us is going to save save the mo- save the most lives and cause the least social harm. Um, and, and and then and then re- recognizing that at the end of the day. If we're going to blame anybody, we got to blame this virus, okay, yeah. and not each other, you know. Because yeah. I think the other what happens is is that people people start going blaming each other, and it's really it's really it's the virus is the virus is the cause, and we really have to really come together mm. and celebrate the ingenuity of science because we're going to beat this virus, and it's because of science and getting people vaccinated. Get it, we got to get our kids back in school. Um, and we all, all of us have to uh, get, get back to work and doing all the things that are um, that we enjoy and we find valuable. Yeah, well, uh, I think when this is all over, we're going to have to start thinking about making a new monument for the National Mall, honoring all the health workers that have really given uh, so much during this pandemic. 
Um, but for today, we are going to have to round out right there. We have been speaking one last time to San Francisco Health Officer Dr. Tomas Aragon. Of course, we should say outgoing San Francisco Health Officer because he's getting ready for his new role directing California's Department of Public Health. I understand he's going to be taking on that new position uh, at the beginning of next year, just at the start of January. Uh, so we do wish you a lot of luck in that role. And uh, thank you one last time for joining us on KCBS In-Depth. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.